We are facing a lot of headwinds from Washington, as you know. The president is unpopular today, unfortunately, here in Virginia. So we have got to plow through. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. I am once again joined by my co-host, Mr. Michael Duncan. Hello. And Mr. Josh Holmes. Josh Dang. Holmes. Josh Holmes, What's- who's 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 with us remote today. His dedication to the program is incredible. Uh, here on, uh, we're recording this, uh, of course, on Columbus Day. Reese. Yeah, I got some serious. I got some serious. <laughs> what the hell is that? Did you? Did I get buzzed on something? I got buzzed for calling it Columbus Day. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'm par- I'm I'm parenting, and I'm recording. So it's like I've got to have I got a multifaceted deal going on. You're a patriot, a- a- absolute renaissance man. That's right. And uh, that opening, you know, for those folks who missed it, that would be Virginia Governor candidate Terry McAuliffe saying uh, Joe Biden is pretty unpopular in Virginia, and you know, looking at the polls across the entire country. Uh, so rough going for Joe. He's not welcome there. It's which is actually pretty incredible when you think about it, especially in Northern Virginia, where you know, I mean, these this is like the lib base. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like the fact that Joe Biden is unpopular in a state like Virginia is alarm bells. Yeah, and and, and it's <laughs> probably why his administration can't get anything done. Uh, everything they've ever wanted to get accomplished is now just turning into a train wreck in Congress. Uh, he hasn't followed through on his. Uh, you know, campaign promise to shut down the virus and not the economy. The economy is just in terrible shape, and we'll be getting that to later. But uh, yep. also on today's show, we have our guest Carla Sands. Carla Sands, uh, she's running yeah. for U.S. Senate in uh, in Pennsylvania. So yeah, so I mean, you recall what we're doing here in every state is that we're taking all these candidates. They're in various primaries because one of them's all going to win the nomination, and we're giving our listeners a good little sample of who these folks are. And so you, you'll remember we had uh, both Jeff Bartos and Sean Parnell on the program, and now it's Carla Sands for Pennsylvania, and Republicans need it. You'll I'll be interested to hear what everybody thinks. Outstanding. Uh, well, let's let's open the show my favorite way. Uh, let's read some five-star reviews. Yes, yes. Do you want to go first? I'll, I'll, I'll go for the first one. So okay. this is from Casey from Atlanta on October 7th, saying this is a refreshing truth injection. Says ruthless is what America needs. Keen insight into the inner workings of our government with some humor to ease the stress of a wary electorate. When listening to the claim to fame episode, I was imagining the battle of wit scene from the Princess Bride. <laughs> While Duncan was making the boys second guess whether Ruben was back in favor. <laughs> Keep up the good work, fellas. And Hollywood Hen. That was, I mean, to this day, that was absolutely masterful. Absolutely masterful work there, Duncan. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm glad people enjoy the meta game of the game oh, yeah. as much as they enjoy the game. It's 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 really something. You know? Uh another one here from Etsy Loyalist. Absolute banger of a program is the title, which is excellent. Fit, fantastic. Thank you to the hosts, contributors, and guests of this refreshingly frank view of today's political landscape. Funny, entertaining, insightful, truthful, and tasteful banter fills my car, office, or headphones at least twice a week. For a break from the world's boredom. Excellent. Cheers. 
I'm down to I'm down to you and Joe Rogan as my headliner po- podcast. That's excellent company. Yeah, it's a great company, and, and I, I appreciate that they call it. Uh, Etsy here calls it a tasteful banter. Oh yes, you know, absolutely tasteful. <laughs> not always tasteful. Not always, not always tasteful. Not always. We try. We try. But, but uh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much to our loyal listeners. The numbers continue to grow. Uh, so you know, let's give let give them the content they're here for. Yes, that's right. So first, we got to talk about. Uh, this uh, Politico story. Uh, the quote is, the president's decline is alarming. <laughs> Biden trapped in coronavirus malaise. Yeah, so th- there was this tweet that I saw from uh, Blake Hunchell. I never know how to pronounce the name. Blake Hunchell, currently the managing editor, or one of the managing editors of Politico, and now he's on his way over to the New York Times. Uh, but basically he says, oh, well, the problem here, folks, is that Joe Biden is in a COVID malaise, uh, because Republicans and other vaccine, you know, deniers. Right, it's not Joe Biden's fault. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely not Joe's fault. Like, he's a passive victim. The man is the president of the United the guy, States. The guy who said he's going to shut down the virus isn't responsible for shutting down the virus. Yeah. It's, it's weird how that's incredible. You know? Yeah, so just I guess incredible. They did, a, uh, they did a focus group last week in Pennsylvania, and, um, and then um, basically what they found is, you know, all nine participants from Tuesday's session gave Biden C minus grades or lower. Woof. Not good. Not good. That's not good. One woman in Pennsylvania sa- is a must have for them, right. right? I mean, they can't they can't slip in Pennsylvania. One, one woman said she wanted to buy a car, but supply chain issues were delaying new shipments to the dealership. A man complained about understaffed restaurants. What you're starting to see here, folks, is what we've been telling you on the program for months. Months. Yeah. Which is that. You know, you can give a fancy speech from the Rose Garden or the East East Room, but when things affect people's pocketbooks, you can't ignore what's in front of their face. That's the thing is, is, is you know, they try to pass off. At the, I remember the 4th of July tweet from the White House where they're like, actually, your groceries are 16 cents cheaper. <laughs> yes. Like blatantly lying yes. to anyone who's been in a grocery store, right. you know, in the past nine months knows for a fact prices have gone up on, on pretty much everything. Uh, this woman pointed out the supply chain issues with trying to buy a car, uh, restaurants, like hiring has become incredibly difficult. Uh, and the supply chain issues that persist, it's the exact opposite of his promise. He said he's going to shut down the virus, not the economy. Now we're at the point where more people have died from COVID in 2021 than in 2020. That's not shutting down the virus. Uh, you saw this White House in complete disarray saying, oh, you no longer need masks. Now you need masks again. Uh, now there's going to be booster shots. Like there is no unified messaging. There's no understanding. There's no action. You know, like right. this president won't even take you know questions from journalists, let alone actually tackle his job of, of trying to help these, you know, this country coming back from a pandemic. Well, right. So so 538 also did a write up here why Biden's approval rating isn't bouncing back. And the point of this article is basically what Holmes, what you said, um, you know, a few months ago is that it, it's not just Afghanistan, basically, mm-hmm. you know, that Afghanistan has faded from the headlines. Obviously, people blamed him rightly for a terrible withdrawal from Afghanistan. But that was basically the permission, if you were like a lean Dem voter, to look around at all the other problems and be like, hey, maybe this guy doesn't actually know what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you voted for the guy, you you have to have some reason to believe that he's an incompetent before you start looking at everything that they've been doing 
through that lens, right? And that was that was what was made so easy about Afghanistan is it's the classic, like I can't imagine being less competent in anything than how they executed the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So then you back that off a touch, you start looking around at the economy, you start looking around at COVID, start looking around at immigration. I mean, in all honesty, the funny thing about this article is it's like, oh yeah, COVID, the reason that, that he sucks. No, dude, everything he sucks. Everything. I mean, there's, not, there's not a single thing. You guys, can you think of something, anything that he's done, that he's touched, that hasn't ended in an abject disaster? Yeah, absolutely not. And the thing is, is the polling shows that much. Right. It's like on every issue, he's underwater at this point. And uh, you, you bring up a, a really great point is we have an absolute disaster at the border right now. And uh, who he appointed as the borders are, you know, Vice President Harris uh, showed up a thousand miles away from the actual border crisis. You know, once once everyone started calling her out for not showing up at the border. Uh, and, and this weekend, Kamala Harris hits up a New Jersey bakery as officials meet with Mexico on immigration. This is a story from the New York Post. This is, you cannot make this up. It's so great. Uh, Do you York- guys think, hold on, hold on. I'm going to pause you on that. Do you think, I mean, clearly we've talked about this before, that when a president has a real piece of shit, right? They're yeah. like, all right, the vice president's in charge of this. Yep. And that, yeah. and that's clearly what's happened here with the border and, and Harris. But like, given that she really has never been to the border, she went tangentially to a border, to a, to a place where it really didn't matter. Yeah. Um, like, do you guys actually think that there is a, a, a like a, a a moment where the Harris people are like, nah, right, nah we're, right. we're, we're good. Is See, this the revolt, good. the revolt against the script of the Biden administration? That I mean, Kamala I, Harris I, is I really think that's the because situation. she clearly hates the portfolio of issues she's been given because they're they're losers. Yeah. Right. Like she's not going to do well on this stuff. Right. And so it's like. Is there a little more going on here? Maybe. I mean, that's the thing is like, put yourself in, in, in Kamala's mindset, right? You're like, you, you see this guy who, I mean, we opened our show last week with him being like, you know, back in uh, uh, the 1920s <laughs> around in that general era. Yeah. She, she's seeing this and she's like, you know what? I mean, this guy may not, up. you know, have a full term in right. office, you know? Uh, she sees that. She sees, you know, the absolute garbage that's being thrown on her plate. And if we're being honest, it's it's always been clear to me that they hated each other. Right. She called him point blank a racist, racist. in the debates. She was like, you are a racist, right. Joe Biden. I was that girl. <laughs> and her reward for that was he made her it, running it, mate. Exactly. And he was like, you know what? Uh, after that, I'm going to dump every horrible thing on your plate. And she's like, hell no. Right. I'm going to a New Jersey bakery instead well, of. Because I think in her mind, she's like. All right, you know, if I just cut some ribbons and show up at some bakeries, I'm on a glide path to be the heir apparent. <laughs> That's the thing. You know? That's the except, thing. Except, except, did you all see the video of her talking with the kids oh my about God. going to space? It was so cringe. It was like straight out of Veep. It I've really was. Seen, <laughs> it really was. Worse than that. She has zero, zero personality. <laughs> not only that, not only zero personality, but it, but it's like a this bizarre sort of fake attempt to humanize herself right. and sort of like like culturally identify with young people where you're like my god just stop talking well i, I mean so this is really this is kind of late breaking i wasn't aware of this regarding that situation so from matt whitlock you know friend of the program it says the biden administration is using tax dollars to pay child actors to try and make kamala harris seem related better than veep those are child actors they no, were no, actors. That, that was a setup. The Washington Examiner has the story. Wow. You got to be kidding me. That is. 
First, there we go. <laughs> Let me just suggest, and far be it from me to try to denigrate the children that were involved in this particular production, but they weren't great actors. I mean, they had a lot cut out for them. Being put in a room with Kamal Harrison, being like, man, this lady is, is, is not nuts. Right. This is a very normal situation. This is not cringy. I'd say they earned their money. I mean, but it shouldn't be taxpayer money. Like, holy moly. That's what it's come to. That's what it's come to. Unbelievable. We need to find this and tweet it back out so we make sure every listener sees the clip that we're talking about because she is so bad in it. But I, I can't believe that the children are actors. Incredible. That is unbelievable. Incredible. More late-breaking news from the Ruthless program. <laughs> incredible. So wow. uh, uh, transitioning to another headline here, uh, virtual Thanksgiving dinners may be here to stay. A survey of 2004 Americans who celebrate Turkey Day explored how people are looking to spend the upcoming holiday. It turns out more than half, 57%, will still rely on celebrations through video calls in light of the ever-changing health guidelines. Who are these people? People that just hate their families. Yeah. Let's just be honest. That's, it's like it's an excuse to not actually do the hard work and travel. I mean, you know? I, I'm already making just, my plans. I'm seeing my family. Like, that has to be the only excuse. Like, let's be very serious people. But just using... <laughs> using COVID to just not see family. I mean, maybe that, that might be the lip thing. You I know? think so. They have, a, they have a broken family structure. They're very anti-family. <laughs> well, that's to pretty with. mean. Wow. <laughs> aggressive. That's pretty aggressive. Uh, <laughs> speaking of aggressive, so there was a situation this weekend with Southwest Airlines. Uh, there's speculation it may have been a intentional sick out from, from, from pilots. So Axios has this story. They said the mass cancellations come after its pilots asked a court to block the company's new COVID vaccine mandate. Uh, airliner insider, airline insiders and conservatives are wondering if the cancellations are part of a, quote, sick out in response to the vaccine policy. It says Southwest Pilots Union said the cancellations were not part of a planned labor demonstration. And here's the thing is more than 25 percent of the airline's flights were canceled on Sunday. Uh, and they, uh, they said we can say with confidence that our pilots are not participating in any official or unofficial job actions. Uh, and there was that Ted Cruz tweet uh, where he said, oh, you know, this is what happens when you try to pass a COVID mandate. Um, yeah, so I, personally, you know, when I saw something about Southwest, I was like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very pro-Southwest to begin <laughs> with. Like when you're walking through the airport terminal, when you pass the gate where it has like the screaming kids, you know that's the Southwest one. You know, if there's an anti-child take, that smug's gonna bring it out. No, I mean it's like it's a very different situation when you're on a flight. You don't want to be in a flight in a situation like that. And like the way they board their planes, it's like first come first serve, like steerage. Like you know, they're just pushing animals onto a cart. Uh, is essentially how Southwest. This uh, is the radio. This operates. is the, the smug radio free Tom mind meld that makes them. No, such I mean, a it's like, let's if you're traveling, you don't want, you know, no one. It's hard to enjoy, uh, f, you know, flying these days and for a lot of reasons. You know, they're going to make you wear your mask. They're going to do all this nonsense. But then to deal with like crying kids and it's like, come on, come on. This, this you know, I'm probably on my way to get some work done. I don't want to be in a mindset where I've got like. A dozen kids screaming their heads off. Parents being like, I raised my kid with an iPad. I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, but Smug, you can't have it both ways here. You you, you can't be mad people are going to do virtual Thanksgiving and then 
denigrate the families, the hardworking families of America that need to travel for the holidays. Well, you know what? I'm, and you know what? I'd say thank you to Southwest for providing that public utility. Like, <laughs> all oh those people God. get on Southwest so I don't have to deal with it. I would pay so much money to see Smug have to go through a day of child care. Well, I mean, that's the thing that's lacking these days. You know, you've got these millennial parents who raise their kids with iPads and are like, oh, I don't know why my kid doesn't listen to me. You know, whatever happened to discipline. These, or, or you've got these millennial D-bags who sit around childless wondering why the rest well, of the world I mean, I, I remember growing up, really. like, you know, I wouldn't even need my parents to shoot me a look. It was like, you're out in public. You know, you, you're, you're like marching straight. You are silent. Children are to be seen, not heard. That, it was a different era. It's a bygone era now, sadly. Uh, what are you going to do there? Well, the, the thing I found really interesting about this is that 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 from the union rep, the pilots union rep said, mm -hmm. you know, quote, the cancellations were not part of a planned labor demonstration. And I wonder, I mean, like, w when have these unions actually ever spoke for the rank and file members no, of their point. of their union? Right. Like Does this Southwest could be a have a union. I mean, one yeah, of these airlines. Said, said so. Yeah. One, one of these airlines <laughs> doesn't have a union. Right. I mean, there or they at least. I thought one of the reasons why Southwest was more nimble than the other carriers is they basically had a limited union. I don't know. I don't know about that. But what I'm I guess what I'm driving at here is maybe this is a, a good old fashioned wildcat strike, you know, without oh. without the support of the union bosses who are colluding with with our pal Joe Biden for these mandates. That would be, we're going to stay on top of this story. folks. <laughs> old wildcat. Old wildcat strike. <laughs> Uh, oh. and, and we got some more news. This is coming from the very, uh, very right wing Atlantic. It says COVID masks are probably hurting kids. It says, oh, quote, yeah. Yeah. It says, quote, even for adults, it is difficult to recognize faces and masks. Uh, this is from a psychologist at Bournemouth University in the UK who studies facial recognition. People process faces holistically. Uh, he says, taking all the features in combination, which is impossible when some of those features are obstructed by a mask or even sunglasses. And until about age 14, children are still developing their facial recognition skills. goes on. It says, some psychologists and educators worry that such impairment in facial processing can lead to a spate of challenges with socialization and communication on top of like, right. you know, a year essentially lost to them where they didn't get to hang out with right. their and, friends. And, and, and you listen to the Variety program. So you heard this directly from Marty McCary. Yep. You know, yeah, we made a big deal out of it. Right. I mean, this was this was the point of our interview, which was. You know, sure. I'm sure it's possible that if you actually tie off a hefty bag over your neck that you're not going to be able to, to process the COVID uh, uh, infection, but you're also going to kill yourself. And the point he was making is that if you put these these masks on kids during this development time, you have no idea what kind of effect it's going to have ultimately on their psychological development. And, and, that's, and, and that's exactly where this study goes. It says kids may find reading people's emotions through masks particularly difficult. And for children who are meeting new classmates for the first time while masked, recognition difficulties can slow down the getting to know you process and in the long run hinder the development of trust. Like um, it's absolutely horrific. Like I, I have a, a feeling that me. like we're going to look back years from now and wonder how the hell this was allowed to continue uh, and all the lasting damage that this this is gonna this is gonna have on kids, so absolutely Jeez. horrific. And then it gets Awful. so in a, in a separate story, and and this is a study that appeared in the Journal of Infectious Diseases. Uh, so trust the experts, folks. It says COVID restrictions are probably going to make future flu seasons much worse. It says the longer people continue to social distance and wear masks, the greater the number of individuals more susceptible to influenza. 
Ironically, this suggests that U.S. states in areas with high levels of COVID-19 safety measures compliance may actually be more at risk of severe flu outbreak. It's like there's no end to this. There's no end to this. Yeah, because there's no immunity built up, right? right? I mean, it's just, but like, again, you don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be a scientist to figure that out. It's it's the case. Although I will say if there's one good thing that's come out of COVID is that people wash their dirty ass hands. I hope so. And they like, you know, have a have a tendency not to spit all over themselves. Yeah. I, I mean, th- that's one thing is like, as a germ phobe, I appreciate, you know, people are like, Hey, maybe I should wash my hands. You know, if, if, if it took a global pandemic, at least that got accomplished. You know? <laughs> at least there's some silver lining yeah, out there. At least there's that. Uh, <laughs> speaking of no silver lining though, I guess. So we're going to cover governor Gropi Grisham. Oh yeah. Mexico. Like we had this story a while back about oh, I remember uh, this. Yeah, uh, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan, I believe Grisham is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. She's forced now recently to pay an additional eighty-seven thousand to the male staffer uh, whose junk she grabbed. Is that? I guess that's the appropriate term we can use on the show. Junk. She I grabbed mean, his junk. Uh, so she first had to pay him one hundred and fifty k in damages uh, for the sex scandal settlement, um, but now had to pay an additional eighty-seven k. Wow. So her her move was one that I remember doing this segment like months and months and months ago because her move was some to be was something to be considered. Uh she this dude, I think it was at some party or something, but she was around other staff mm-hmm. and she poured water on his crotch and then immediately followed up it up with like a you know, like she was cleaning off his uh Yeah, well it says in in the story it says uh uh, the victim, Helen, accused uh, Lujan Grisham in late 2019, about a year after he left the campaign, of pouring a bottle of water on his crotch and then grabbing his crotch through his clothes as she laughed. So, wow! yikes, <laughs> yikes. What is it about Dems in this behavior? What can you well, say? <laughs> it's an interesting technique. Well, it sounds like the fella got paid, huh? I mean, at least there's that, you know. At least he got paid. Uh, and, and a topic that we have been, uh, you know, staying on top of is, Folks, it's all about the economy. Uh, Bloomberg was out with a article saying that there is a risk the U.S. is already back in a recession. Oh, jeez. And uh, Axios had the story that Goldman Sachs clients are beginning to worry about stagflation, a combination of subpar growth and elevated inflation, which hasn't been a thing since the early 1980s. So, like, we're back to Carter days. It only right. took nine months. Biden's got us back to Carter days. And this comes on the heels of news uh, last week that the September jobs report badly missed expectations with payrolls increasing by just 194,000 uh, compared with the estimate for 500,000. So that's like really missing it. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a huge miss. It continues to show the Biden administration is asleep at the wheel. They haven't shut down the virus. They're not helping the economy. They've, they've pretty much shut down the economy, right. not the virus. Right, they did it backwards. Yeah, they messed that up. Um, but here's a real problem, and, and I, I, I think a lot of folks need to focus on this uh, because this is going to become, you know, oh, this is only going to get worse. So it's the supply chain problems that we're facing. This is from the Washington Post. It says, this month, the median cost of shipping a standard rectangular metal container from China to the west coast of the U.S., hit a record $20,586. That's almost twice what it cost in July, which was twice what it cost oh in January. God. Twice what it cost. So we're at four times the cost It just since Biden has taken office. Uh, and, you know, my pro tip to all the parents who are listening, uh, get on your Christmas shopping. I know a lot of folks have already started talking about this. It's only going to get worse. I would say, you know, figure out what the kids want. Get in those orders now because it's going to get worse. 
you don't want to be stuck, you know, heck, it'll be like middle of November when you're trying to order things and they'll be like, oh yeah, well, good luck. You might get it next summer. So, <laughs> woof. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the thing is about this particular economic downturn is that it's entirely self-inflicted, yep. right? I mean, yep. there are some times when there are external events that happen that are very difficult to overcome that, you know, you have an economic slowdown. And we've had those periodically, like once a decade. This particular one, we came out of the COVID pandemic. We were beginning to grow yep. at, a, at a pretty high rate. The, the policies that these people have put in place- That's exactly have, right. Have contributed not only- to an enormous economic downturn and lack of growth through a whole bunch of different sectors. I'm thinking energy primarily, but, but also you have this payments to people who are unemployed, paying their rent, paying incentivizing the workforce not to work exactly has an incredible downstream effect on things that you're talking about right now, like, like supply chain. Exactly. And, and you, you also touched on it is the energy issue is you had on day one, they, they show up, they shut down the Keystone pipeline, you know, oil prices, prices, of the pump keep going up. They let Putin have his Nord Stream so he can, he can take over Eastern Europe's power. Yeah. Um, when, oh gosh, I thought, I thought Donald Trump was the KGB agent. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and this glib headline from CNN, if you hoped grocery stores this fall and winter would look like they did in the before times with limitless options stretching out before you in the snack, drink, candy, and frozen food aisles, get ready for some disappointing news. <laughs> I mean, not only are you paying for more, there's going to be like nothing there. It's like just... it's, you know, from, from the prosperity of, of the Trump era to now we're like in Venezuela in nine months. Like it's, I it, couldn't even thought they'd screw things up that fast. It's like we're on the trial, the trial deal for socialism. And you know, this, honestly, to me, it feels like this is their build back better. Right. Is like they can't try to push for a case for which is you know their whole plan is socialism. They can't they can't push that case unless they make things so dire. Right. For the American people. To me, it, it, it feels like they're they're totally cool with all of this, and they just you know their eyes are lighting up at the possibility of they're like, hey, you know, let's just let's just keep this rolling. It might be good for us. So, I think I think there's going to be hell to pay for them in the midterms, though. So, well, so we've had a lot of bad news on on the podcast today. I think we should lighten it up a little bit and play a game. What do you think? Let's play a game. What all game right. you got? We are going to play Dem or Journo. Let's hit that music. Dem or journo, 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 nobody knows. Honestly, this could be my favorite game. While I think that theme song is a bit long, I love I love me some dem or journo. It's a great game. It's, it's a, a great, great game. game. And, and for and our first best. time listeners... We're going to listen to uh, our judge and jury, Michael Duncan, read us four tweets, three of which come from, quote, journalists, and one which comes from a Dem operative. And we, me and Holmes, are going to guess which is which. Yes. I'm, I, I appreciate Smug got, got the uh, details of the game correct. <laughs> I think On the that's ball. the first time he's read the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Statement number one. The September jobs report offered fresh evidence contradicting Republicans who have said that generous unemployment aid has been keeping people away from the workplace. Mm. Statement number two. If you compare it to the Great Recession, 
It took us until 2016 to get under 5% unemployment in the Great Recession. Statement number three. The new jobs numbers are pretty good, actually. Meanwhile, the focus on the underwhelming job growth numbers has masked what should be viewed as an unambiguously good news. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are so bad. It's unbelievable. All of them sound just like PR for this administration. (laughs) Among the many superlatives, this is number four. Among the many superlatives in the September report, this one jumped off the page. The ranks of the long-term unemployed, or those out of work for more than a half a year, fell by almost fell by the most ever last month. Okay, I mean, I think I got. I, I, I Jum- think I jumped guess. off the page. Yeah, that's what jumped off the page. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't the fact that they missed their employment numbers by like four hundred thousand. Right. Was, <laughs> that's what jumped off the page. That's what jumped off and, the page. And what jumped off the page is like when the White House sent my talkers to me. This is what they wanted me to highlight. They said, well, get this out there. What's really funny in, in 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 doing the research for today's game is, you know, like like uh, on the headlines and and most of like the subheads and stuff, pretty straight news, right? Disappointing job report. But what you periodically find in a lot of these journalist stories is in graph three or four is where they try to spin it back. Yeah, that's entirely right. That is such a good point. It, it always, they kind of try to work it in throughout the article, right? Can you read back number three for me? The new jobs numbers are pretty good, actually. There's a, a um, ellipses there. Uh, meanwhile, the focus on the underwhelming job growth numbers has masked what should be viewed as unambiguously good news. Okay, so I think, you know, not only am I going to say I feel like this is a quote-unquote journo, this to me strikes as like a, a, a Matty Glacius tweet because he's he's taken this form in a lot of his tweets where he has the most dumbass take followed by <laughs> actually – or, you know, right. he'll be like, the sky is purple, actually, and then tries to back it up with some stupidity. So I, that's really, to me, feels like a Matty Glacius take. If it's a journo, you can you can guarantee like a thousand percent that Ron Klain retweeted it. Ooh, that's, right? I, I like that. I like if the icing you, on that cake. Because there's no, I mean, that can't miss that dude's radar. That, that is <laughs> profoundly stupid. Profoundly. Jen Rubin style stupid. And then now, so I'm going to secretly cast my ballot for which I think is the Dem operative. I'm going to show Duncan. Okay. All right. Now, now feel free to talk through your choice, Holmes. All right. So can I get a reread of number two, actually? If you compare it to the Great Recession, recession it took us until 2016 to get under 5% unemployment in the Great Recession. Okay. Um, I've got... So here, here's the way I'm going to work through this. The, the first one, contradicting Republicans, that should be the operative, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. should be. But, you know, I, I hate to totally deploy the Tucker Carlson theory on it because that's not always been right. But it feels like it's shameless enough where it would be very difficult for a Democrat to actually say that because it, actually the entire report belies that. I mean, completely contradicts that argument. Well, not, so, o- not only that, but but in statement number four, remember the superlative that jumped off the page was long-term unemployment <laughs> went down to its lowest level ever. 
It's like wow, you know, when, when you when a pandemic ends and, and you allow people to go back to work, right. who knew? And they're counting this as like, oh, this is job creation. Not like, <laughs> no, not actually, like these were here before we demanded lockdowns. And, and comparing it to the Great Recession, I find to be so hilarious. We had a global financial system meltdown, a real estate meltdown, the entire economy <laughs> explodes, right? And and you're comparing that to forced lockdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the. It, but then, okay, so we'll we'll keep going. Number three, I agree with Smug. It's outrageous. It's got to be a journo, and I'm guaranteeing a clean RT. Okay. Uh, on number four, the long-term unemployment. You know, the funny thing is, the reason why long-term unemployment goes down is because they stop looking for work. Yeah. 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 Right. You, yeah. You, know, you know, that's the way that They're works. They're like, very right. happily, some people have thrown in the towel. Great <laughs> news. <laughs> Great news. It really is. We're on the trial for socialism yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> so coming back to all of that, I think because there are so many Obama- like third string staffers on on the Biden payroll. I'm going to say that number two is the Dem operative because they that's their only experience in talking about things, all things economy. Well, when everything goes poorly, it they would always start with <laughs> the dependent clause. Well, coming out of the Great Recession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean number two is my guess for Dem. Number two is my yeah. Guess. Well, guys, that was very smart. You are correct. Oh. Boom. Nice. Boom. Let's get the names of these shameless that, people. That was from Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. Incredible. Okay. Um, Wonderful. Which is great. So number one, um, the you know jobs report offered fresh evidence contradicting Republicans. That was from the Washington Post. Heather Long. Oof. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. By the way, yeah. is that an Economist reporter? I mean, is that like an Economy reporter? Or is that is that a political reporter? Um, it sounds like an economy reporter, which she, is so amazing. She is the economics correspondent for the Washington think about, Post. Just Horrific. think about that. Horrific. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. She's making a political argument. Right. In a piece about the economy. Uh-huh. Of which she's so far out of her depth, she shouldn't even be putting pen to the paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, number three was uh, the New York Times. Um, that was the, the headline was the new jobs numbers are pretty good, actually. Incredible. <laughs> Which is just like this worst take and got dunked on on Twitter. Um, that was Neil Irwin there at the New York Times. Oof. Uh, number four, the superlatives and, uh, you know, jumped off the page. That was, uh, Dan Burns at Reuters. Oof. Can you believe this? These, these once hallowed wow. institutions of journalism just debasing themselves with yes. complete stupidity. Washington Post, disaster. New York Times, Reuters. What a shame. Oh, well, it was a good game, fellas. Let's Great uh, game. Let's hit that music again. Dem or journo, 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 dem or journo. Excellent, excellent. You'll, now I say we just uh, we should get to that interview. Yeah. yeah. So this so this is Carla Sands. Uh, recall she's the third major candidate that we have hosted here in the program for the Pennsylvania Senate seat, currently held by Senator Pat Toomey, who is going to be retiring at the end of the cycle. It's a must-have, right? So we want to have uh, everybody in. Let's see what you think. I want to welcome to the program the former ambassador to Denmark. She's now a candidate for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Carla Sands, welcome to the program. 
Thanks, Josh. It's nice to be with you today. So listen, you, you've had a, a very interesting life for one, uh, but you've got a good life going. What makes you want to get into politics? Oh my gosh, thanks for asking. You know, I have raised hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, mostly alongside my late husband for worthy causes and for campaigns for candidates. We tried to get, like Ronald Reagan said, the most conservative uh, electable politician right. in office. And, um, and I have watched over the years that they go to Washington and it doesn't seem like they're working for us. It seems like they like their pensions and their cocktail parties and they're working for themselves. And, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I finally went, you know, our country is being dragged into socialism by like the hardcore left, like I've never seen. I have to step up and stop it. Yeah. Yep. So you took it on your own shoulders. So, so your journey sort of starts in the public foray anyway, uh, in the Trump administration when he appointed you as ambassador to Denmark and you were subsequently confirmed by the Senate. Tell us a little bit about that experience. That was the honor of my life. It was an incredible experience. So Denmark's a kingdom. It has Denmark, Greenland and the Faroe Islands. So it was a really interesting portfolio to work on. And um, we had three mission goals, build bridges between our people, increase trade and investment, and increase our security. And so my team and I, working together, um, we had great um, uh, foreign service officers. Half of our staff was from the foreign service or intelligence community or military. And we were able to increase U.S. exports to Denmark over 22% in just one year by focusing. We also were able to work to secure the Arctic region because Greenland is part of North America. It's also in the Arctic. And uh, we hadn't had a relationship, a diplomatic relationship with Greenland for 67 years. So we opened a consulate in Greenland. We got a Coast Guard billet for uh, Denmark for the Arctic region for security and many, many other things, including resolving old disputes between the DOD and Greenland and and Denmark. And for that, I was awarded the Department of Defense's highest civilian honor, the Medal for Distinguished Public Service. That's great. So did you know that, were you into sort of international issues and international economic issues or, or did this sort of happen with the opportunity? You just sort of dove in and, and learned to love it. Well, so a couple of things. I was reading over the decades, those trade deals that we would cut like NAFTA and the trade deals with China. I know I would read them and wonder who these people writing these deals on the American side were working for, because none of them were beneficial to our companies and our workers. And that was just for me a head scratcher. And, um, and so to, to, to dive in there, but also when you go to a foreign country to represent the United States, you get briefed, you go to ambassador school and then you get briefed by the experts whether it's intelligence or uh, foreign policy experts, there are many, many subject matter experts that brief in, in outgoing ambassadors. And so I learned about the fact that we didn't really have any eyes on in the Arctic. And meanwhile, Russia and China are, were all over the place, in the sea, over the sea, and underneath. Uh, and, and China is attempting to wrap up the world's supply of rare earth minerals. They're attempting to block trade routes. Even Russia has um, missiles on their icebreakers. 
So mm-hmm. they're really militarized in the Arctic region, unlike any other country up there. Huh, that's really interesting. So, so you, all, all of this happens over four years. It's got to be a little whirlwind for you. It's clearly a change of pace. Uh, a very <laughs> quick learning curve, yes. Yeah, from your lifestyle. You come back after your, your service and you decide, okay, I'm going to run for Senate. Um, you decided pretty quickly this year that you were interested in, in running for Senate. And I imagine what you've seen over the subsequent, what, six, seven, eight, nine months um, is sort of emboldened you to, to have a conservative message given what we're seeing in Washington. Well, it didn't exactly happen that way. You know, in 2020, as I was ambassador and living in Denmark, um, I was watching the riots and looting across our country. And I saw it largely unchecked by government, which is the number one job, right? The security of, of the people that they govern. And I saw the incoming, first of all, Democrat um, uh, debates and then incoming Biden-Harris administration talking about closing the borders, shutting down American energy. Um, I saw conservative voices canceled over and over, even candidates like on the eve of their election, you know, big tech would like take their platform down, take down their page, their ads would be blocked. Stuff that is fundamentally un-American because those big tech companies had become the public square. And during a pandemic, we were all using them to communicate and work and they were uh, behaving as if they were still uh, private companies that were um, able to function without regulation, but clearly they are now the phone company. They are the public square. And so what they were doing was, I believe, fundamentally unconstitutional. Hmm. And I, I watched this stuff happening and I knew I had to step up and run because you could just see many, not most, but many elected officials were not doing what we hired them to do, which was protect our constitutional rights, make sure we can have great trade, can have a prosperous life. Instead, you have this Biden administration, this monstrosity of like 3.5 trillion plus that they're trying to pass, which will fundamentally reduce the lifestyle of most Americans. They're, you know, it's going to push down because there are so many green edicts that will come. They're going to try to govern every little bit of your life. And that's not America. America stands for freedom. It's a beacon of freedom to the world and a beacon of hope. That's what I talked to the voters of Pennsylvania about is what can I do for them? What do they need? Because Pennsylvania was the founding of our country. This is the, literally the heartbeat of, of America. So let's talk a little bit about Pennsylvania because obviously an incredibly critical seat for Senate Republicans and their ability to take back the majority in 2022 a seat that's been difficult, right? Pat Toomey has had success in, in, in two elections, but there hasn't been a ton of other success lately. Um, it's, it's turned blue in the last two election cycles, but as we've seen over the last year, some, some rays of hope and some Republican resurgence within Pennsylvania. You've got a tough primary in front of you. Um, what, what, what do you think makes your qualifications and where you're at best suited to hold that seat for Senate Republicans? Well, I think there's three things I want to raise there. One what is my, my qualifications. Nobody else in the race has the foreign policy and national security experience that I have. And when my late husband passed away in, suddenly in 2015, I stepped up to 
run our company. We had business interests up and down both coasts of the U.S., and largely commercial real estate. And so I understand business on a national perspective. I also ran a small doctor of chiropractic office, so I understand very small business. Um, I get it, I get the issues, and I have capabilities nobody else brings. But I just want to um, draw your attention to last year, I know that it sounded negative what you said about Pennsylvania, but as a matter of fact, we had a red wave last year in Pennsylvania. We had the best year since 1953. For the first time since 53, we won two statewide seats and no Republican incumbent lost their race. But one of my Republican primary opponents lost his in a plus two Republican district with the former president's endorsement. So you can see that my, my, um, campaign manager actually says this is a primary in name only and that's because all of my credible republican opponents lost their last race and they lost badly all of them and we need someone who can win pennsylvania not just in the primary but in the general and i can bring the big tent republican party together those suburban voters are going to understand my message that they want to have safe neighborhoods, that they want prosperity. They want their kids to have great jobs and a great education. I talked to our farmers. They don't want to be overregulated. They don't want high inheritance taxes where the family loses the family farm in the next generation. And our energy producers, we have to support them and support the workers that are in that business because we need cheap and abundant energy in order to be prosperous. So I have the pathway holding the big tent together, the people that voted for President Trump, the people that would never vote for him, the big middle, and I'll need some Democrat voters as well. And I will be able to attract those. Well, it sounds like you've got it mapped out, which is good because it's going to require a lot of effort. Yes. It's going to be, I mean, look, if you're the nominee, Democrats have to have it, right? They will come at you with guns blazing. It's going to be a tough general for sure. We have real candidates on the other side. But I also want to say that I will be the number one fundraiser in this quarter as well, the quarter that just passed. Oh, that's great. Okay. So are you, any announcements to make on what kind of, what kind we'll of dollars make a you got? Announcement soon, but I will just say I will be the highest fundraiser for the Republican, uh, for the Republicans on, in the Pennsylvania primary. Okay. Well, that's quite a, quite a pronouncement. Obviously that'll get a, a fair amount of attention. Let's, um, Let's switch gears for a minute because I, I you sure. a couple of really interesting things in your background. First of all, you were an actress, which I find amazing, right? Because there's not a lot of folks in Republican politics that have dabbled in Hollywood at any point, right? Because it's yeah. like usually you go out there, you get lost, <laughs> but you found your sure. way back. Can you just, just talk to us about that experience? What, what it was like? I mean, you were, you did soaps, you did, you were in a couple of movies. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I grew up in Cumberland County here in the middle of the state, but my family, my Pennsylvania ancestors come from Western Pennsylvania and they fought in the American Revolution and in the Civil War. Um, but my, I grew up here in central Pennsylvania and I practiced as a doctor of chiropractic here in our family small uh, health office, our third generation uh, family health office here in, in, in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. And I was practicing there with my dad when I got a call offering me to go to Los Angeles and do a soap opera. And I didn't want to go. Um, <laughs> I really didn't want to move west. But I took the opportunity 
And uh, you got to figure out what it's about, right? I mean, yeah. And I mean, yes, exactly. And so I went, I I did that. I did a couple movies, dozens and dozens of TV commercials, some that ran during the Super Bowl (laughs) and some primetime stuff. And then I sat for the chiropractic board out there and began to practice. And then um, that's when I met my my, uh, late husband, Fred Sands. And he he had founded and owned the second largest um, residential real estate company west of the Mississippi. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's what he was doing. And then when he sold in 2000, he began another company. And that's what he got me involved in. And we had a daughter together. She's a college student now. She actually moved with me to Denmark uh, when I started. Oh, is that right? I yeah, that was a different change of pace, huh? Unbelievably different. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And hats off for keeping a, a college kid uh, sort of enthused about everything in their surroundings in Denmark, right? I mean, you never, never know how that's going to work. It's a very different society than in the U.S., but people are really happy. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, so tell me, what is it? Days of Our Lives? What soap were, were you? Oh, or? The Bold and the Beautiful. The Bold and the Beautiful. So yeah. you walk on set on this, in this outfit. Uh, you don't know anybody from Adam. Uh, what's the culture of a, of a soap opera set like? I, I just, I've, I've never been able to ask anybody that who's actually known. Yeah, it's dark Is because it? you only light the set. So it's dark all around. And, uh, and everybody has a dressing room that you work on your lines because you have to memorize a lot of lines about in a half an hour soap, it was 10 pages a day. Oh, wow, in okay. an hour, soap, it's about 20. And, um, and uh, you know, you, you just do it. And, and the day's... The, you know, you, you go to the set, you say your lines and you go home. That's basically it. So it's, it's just a job, right? I mean, it's not, it does, it's not like it's uh you know, a group of friends hanging out, making show business. It's like you're, you're there and you just kind of grind it out. Yes. Except that, you know, over the years I did become friendly with um, some of the folks um, on the business side. And so mm. that was a nice relationship to have those friendships. Yeah, I bet. Well, it's yeah. an interesting story anyway. We don't get that a lot in Republican politics. It's, that's no. another facet that you bring that we haven't, we haven't seen before. But no. uh, I've got, I, Carla, I've got three big questions that all the minions listen to here. And these, these are the okay. ones that everybody pays attention to. Uh, yeah. The first one is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Ah, Okay. Um, I would probably uh, go to my sister's house and grill some steaks and make some um, corn on the cob. We get it from the farmer's market and, and uh, salad. And I would, I would bake an apple pie. I'm a really good pie baker. Oh, that's great. It's all very Pennsylvania too. You guys have pretty good corn up there. We have very good corn, sweet corn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm from Minnesota originally, so we usually argue about that, but I, I have, my wife's from, uh, outside of Philly. So we have, she's, I've, I've experienced it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So second, uh, question here. And I think I'm going to broaden the aperture of this a little bit. It's usually, if you didn't get into politics, what would you be doing with your life? Why don't we mm-hmm. say if, if, if you didn't ever get into your interest in public service, your interest in, in, campaigns, financing campaigns, ultimately mm-hmm. ambassadorship. If that part was never part of your life, what do you think you'd be dedicating your time to? Um, I think either, either running a, 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 a nonprofit that would um, promote 
patriotic education and civics education to kids in public schools because I think they're they're not being taught the great history of our country. We we come from the greatest country in the history of the world, and they're not learning that. Every country's flawed, but our country is tremendous, and that's why we have so many people trying to break in on the southern border. But another thing I might be doing would be um, working to take our culture and our media back because that's you know politics is downstream from that, and I think. I think we're in danger of losing our country. We have one party running the media, basically. It's the left, it's the hard left. And then the culture is so disconnected from the heart of most Pennsylvanians, mm -hmm. from the values and virtues of the people that I live and talk with. So um, I think one of those two things, One's, one is fundamental, it's the kids, and the other is like overarching. Yeah, well, both make a lot of sense to to me, the, the latter, one of the reasons why this program exists. So appreciate that. Um, all right. So here's the final question. And this is, this is um, I'm going to explain it a little bit. It's, it's okay. about what goes to motivate you more, right? And the question is, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And one way to look at the thrill of victory, it's like the glass half full optimist always charging up the hill. The latter, the agony of defeat person's like the Michael Jordan character, right? Where they just find a way to be irritated and agonized about the mere proposition that anyone could ever beat them at something, right? So those are the two poles. Where do you find yourself? Um, you know, I think I, think I understand. I, I'm definitely a glass half full person, but because I've been on so many deals that you think it's dead and it comes back, you know, when you finally, it's not ever over until it's over. I think I just, I don't look at it as defeat or victory. I look at it, I just keep moving forward. And, mm. and I, don't, I don't really focus on either. Um, I just, I, I always am on the offense and always moving forward. And, and it, it, it has served me well in life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're on to the next adventure already. Listen, Carla Sands, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thanks so much. Good to talk to you, Josh. Good luck. Thank you. So, I mean, look, she's, she's fully committed. It sounds like any, anybody uh, who says that they guarantee they're going to raise more money than everybody else strikes me as somebody who's, who's going to put their own skin in the game, right? That's a tough thing to guarantee right? unless, unless you're writing checks, which of course is a formidable, a very formidable thing uh, for any Senate race out there. So, I mean, look, this is, this is going to be a tight race. And like you said, it's a must win, you know, uh, hopefully the Biden administration and Democrats continue on their like disastrous path of their polling keeps going down and uh, we get this red wave. So definitely looking forward to that one. And, yeah. And well, you know, I think I'm going to steal Smug's line here. I think that was a banger of an episode. It really was, wasn't it, gentlemen? <laughs> we had yeah, well, fun. And here's the thing. I got through this entire episode without a major kid meltdown, uh, which is uh, it, in its in and of itself sort of a minor miracle. That's right. I can you say even the kids love the Ruthless Friday program. So uh, another banger of a show, as Duncan said. Uh, thanks again to all our listeners giving us great five-star reviews and for tuning in. Tell your friends. Uh, so until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.